Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going to the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie. If you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he stops. Well, he is where he's out. That three is out. Look at look at this. Three is out. Uh, David Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any. Baseball that was ever put out in the hundred years of the press time. Oh, yeah, welcome back. This is the Passball Show. I'm John Pielli. This is hour number two of the radio program right here on the MTR Radio Network. If you were listening to the first hour, you heard me rant a little bit about the all-star ballots. You heard former major leaguer Derek May, who played for the Cubs in the early part of the 90s. Definitely a lot of interesting things hit up with him. Second hour is going to be, I think, just as good. We got uh, Mark Malusis will be joining us in a little bit. Julie Alexandria will be in for the second part of the hour. And another thing I was writing about in my blog, and once again, you go check out johnpielli.com, Bases Empty blog. I write for it every day. Something either historical currently going on in a game what i don't like to do is i don't like to retread stories and i don't like when people do that they just send a bunch of the same old stuff out for everybody and listen if you if you're going to read a story why read it 10 times i'm tired of talking about the same old stuff and the other day i kind of had a little bit of a of a you know brainstorm i was thinking about joe torrey as a player and there's no question when Joe Torre played, whether it was with the Cardinals, whether it was with the Milwaukee or Atlanta Braves, whether it was with, you know, towards the end of his career with the New York Mets, he was a good player. He was a good team leader. The Cardinals really counted on him. He won an MVP in 1972. Prior to that, he was a very good player for the, the Atlanta and before that, Milwaukee Braves. And he ends up, of course, going through the same routine. He ends up managing the New York Mets, a team that he played for. He manages the Atlanta Braves, a team that he played for. He manages the St. Louis Cardinals and doesn't really have the same kind of success as a major league manager. 
After that, he ends up getting a job with the New York Yankees in 1996, and of course, the rest is history. He ends up with all the winning seasons, the four World Series, the two more AL pennants, and really becomes a king in New York. They, you know, he, he gets appreciated very much for what he did as a manager. Well, of course, with all those good players. But listen, you still got to get the team out there. You got to write the lineup cards. You got to hold up the World Series trophy in the end. And he did that on four separate occasions. So my question to to you or anybody you know that was reading was, what was Joe Torre better as? Was he a better player or a better manager? And I think it's a it's it's very back and forth. I had people making cases for both sides of this argument that you know perhaps he was better as a player because he was a team leader of the Cardinals. When he won the MVP in 1972, he was one of the best players on the field. And then others say, listen, what he did as a manager does not get duplicated too much. There aren't too many you know, players or you know, managers that end up winning four World Series championships. And I'll put that thought on hold. I'll welcome to the Passball Show, um, SNY and WFAN host Mark Malusis. Mark, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. You got it, John. What's going on, man? Eh, not much, man. How's everything going? Everything's going well. I can't complain. <laughs> Definitely not, man. Now, we'll start off with the Yankees a little bit. They were able to salvage the third game in the series against the Angels, winning 6-5. to five. A lot of the same problems still persist. Not, you know, you know, Nova was okay, but he wasn't great. He was gutty through his six-plus innings. Not a lot of clutch hits. They really had the five runs in a one inning, really being their whole offense. Uh, what, what do you think's going on with the Yankees coming out of this series with the Angels? Well, I mean, it's a disappointing series. I mean, the Angels came into that series as hot as any team in Major League Baseball, John. And, you know, they take two or three. I mean, the Yankees salvaged the final one. They should have won the first one. Not a good start from Phil Hughes. And, um, you know, giving up the the walk-off shot, the walk-off home run at the Trumbo. But, you know, I think the offense has been better in the last two weeks as compared to what they were, you know, for the previous four, five, six weeks as far as the situational hitting. I'm sure at, at some point when they get Gardner back, I think that'll help the lineup. They need to share to hit. They need A-Rod to hit with some sort of power. And Robbie Cano's got to do some damage. You know, and that second game was disappointing. He left eight guys on base, and he's one for ten this year with, with uh, the bases loaded. Yeah, that's kind of not really Robinson Cano. I mean, he was he was very good with the bases loaded last year. What do you think, you know, gets into a player, whether they're hitting really well with the bases loaded or they're struggling? Is, is it a totally a mental thing or just – you know, X's and O's just, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I think it depends on the matchup with the pitcher. I think it's a lot of it is confidence. You don't doubt the talent level of Robinson Cano or the approach at this point in time. Um, I think it's a matter of seeing the pitches, being in a groove, and, and Cano is not in the same groove right now up at the plate like he was a, a year ago when he was really an MVP candidate in the American League. So I, I really think when a guy's going well, it's talent, obviously, but they're talented players just to make Major League Baseball. But confidence plays a big-time role. Yeah, it absolutely does. Now, a guy that doesn't, you know, you hear criticism of a Teixeira or a Cano, but a guy you really haven't heard people talk too much about is Curtis Granderson. Last year, Granderson hits 41 home runs. He tears it up. He he hasn't been the same exact player this year. What do you think's going on with Curtis Granderson as far as him maybe Maybe the expectation's a little too high after what he did last season. 
I mean, he's hit with power, especially he's hit with power at Yankee Stadium. You know, I, I don't. You know, I, I think you look at Granderson last year. What he was able to do uh, was really pretty remarkable. Um, but I think that's really the high point as far as him as a player. I mean, I, I don't look for him to be that type of player every single year. Um, you know, he'd be pretty special if he was. I, I really don't have an, that big of an issue this year with Curtis. I think he's been pretty good offensively. You know, the team, it's been a team-wide struggle as far as with runners in scoring position. We know that. But the biggest issue of all in that lineup, there's not been opportunities. It's taking advantage of opportunities. And it is the middle part of that lineup. And it's A-Rod, it's DeSher, and it's Canel. No, absolutely, man. I agree with you. I mean, you know, looking at you know a guy like Granderson, you you know he he may have a very good season and hit thirty home runs and be just as good as he was last year. Sure. Uh, now on on to the bullpen. A good th- good thing, you know, you, you're not really hearing too much about Rafael Soriano, which means he can't be doing that bad of a job. What about uh, Soriano as the closer now? Obviously, filling in for David Robertson, who's filling in for Mariano Rivera. Uh, what what do you, do you think uh, Soriano is a guy that could hold down the closer's job until you know uh, at least Robertson gets back? I think he's going to be the closer. I mean, he's six for six. He's going to make you sweat. Saved the game last night against the Angels. I think he's the type of player that's more comfortable in that role than and will be better a better pitcher for Girardi and Rothschild as the closer as compared to then being the eighth inning guy. And I think when Robertson does come back, Cashman said today they expect him back by the middle portion of June. So in a couple of weeks, you have David Robertson back. You plug Robertson back to that eighth inning role as your setup man, and you make Soriano your closer. A guy that's had 45 saves at one point in his career has done the job. I liked what he had to say the past, you know, couple days, saying he enjoys the pressure. He feels like he's a better pitcher uh, in that closer's role. And right now, there's really not a reason to take him out uh, of that role uh, unless he falls completely on his face. I- I'm not going to tell you, John, that I trust him 100% um, in a big time spot, but. Um, he deserves that spot, even when Robertson does come back. Yeah, I agree too. I think there's some pitchers that you know are just better off as closers, and you can't necessarily you know cherry pick another team's closer and make him your eighth inning guy because the mentality is totally different. You're going in. Well, that's exactly right. It's not like you can take every eighth inning guy and make him your closer, even if he's a dominant eighth inning guy. And I'm not saying that 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 that's going to be the case with Robertson at some point in his career. I just don't think that's uh, the case right now. I think you got to keep. You know, make Soriano your closer and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And having having the two of them, you know, there is still going to make this Yankee bullpen as good as a lot of teams. I mean, there are, there really aren't too many teams that are really knocking it out with killer bullpens, killer eight ninth innings. I think even without Mariano Rivera, I think the Yankees still shake out okay. You know, with their relief core. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's tough. I mean, to replace a Mariano Rivera and don't think that this team is going to skip a beat at all um it's gonna it is you know it, i i i think there are gonna be some bumps i mean i think when you when you grow accustomed to rivera being as brilliant as he has been i think there are going to be some speed bumps here or there and um with soriano with a robertson back end but i don't think it's going to kill the yankees and that's why you know yankee management gave soriano the type of deal that they gave him yeah, absolutely, man. And once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with WFAN and SNY host Mark Malusis. Mark, 
Before I get into the Mets a little bit, you know, the Angels are obviously playing a lot better right now. The Yankees have not, you know, gotten off to the best start. Neither have the Detroit Tigers. In your mind, what do you think is the biggest story out of the three? Uh, Because I I had the Tigers, I had the Yankees, I had the Angels all winning their division without a doubt. What do you think has been the biggest disappointment out of those three teams so far this year? Well, I think you look at Detroit. Uh, I mean, you know, they get off to a solid start. I think their last 36 games are something like 12 and 24. I mean, they have not been good for Jim Leland. You know, they've suffered some injuries now. Doug Fister going down, and, you know, they're not hitting like you expect them to do and not taking what is a pretty weak division by storm. I mean, Verlander has certainly carried his part of the weight as the, uh, at the top end of the rotation. He's been brilliant. But I think the most disappointing team right now would have to be Detroit, John, because they still have not, aside from their first 12 games, really have not gotten it going. And uh, you look at the Yankees, I think they're on the come. And I think if you look at the Angels, what they've been able to do for Mike Socia, certainly defensively, uh, bringing in the rookie Mike Trout, who's played, gives you splendid defense. You know, their starting staff has been there all season long. Bullpen has gotten better. I think the Angels are going to be a team to be reckoned with as this season goes along. And so I, I side with Detroit there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, to be honest, I don't see any one of these three teams not being in it in the last week of the season, at the very least, for one of the wild card spots. I mean, I, I can't see a season go on without without one of those three teams, you know, one of those three teams in the playoffs. But um, right. if you look at a Yankee perspective, you know Cashman and the Steinbrenners come July 31st that they have to. They'll make a trade and add some payroll to ensure that this team is very, very relevant at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely, man. And Now, I think one thing a lot of fans seem to lose, you know, grips of is, you know, you go back to last year, the year before, the year before with the New York Yankees, they – have traditionally been slow starters. You know, they end up picking it up, you know, mid-season towards the end. They get their 90 wins. They end up being, you know, what people expect. What about people, you think people are overreacting a little bit over the Yankees' start? No, because I think they're an older team. Um, so, you know, you look at share has not been good in the postseason. You've seen his average drop the last three years. You know, A-Rod being paid for what he was, not what he is. Derek Jeter, you know, he's been tremendous. He's up there in age. So it gets, you know, sometimes you look at an older team and you look at a team like the Yankees where there is not much maneuverability or flexibility for Girardi as far as the day-in, day-out guys. You just have to roll them out there. And they are a talented team, but roll them out there and hopefully And I think when you have a fan base that is expecting brilliance, when they don't see brilliance, they're going to get criticized. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, it, you know, it happens every year. And, you know, I think, you know, a Yankee fan could look back at the last, you know, couple of years and see the team end up putting it together. But, of course, there is there is concerns at the moment. Now, you know, on to the Mets. They they're obviously are off to a pretty good start, 28-23 and 23 right now after dropping the last game of the series to the Philadelphia Phillies. In your mind, do you think this team can hang in there throughout the season, or you see this team dropping off relatively soon? Yeah, I think they're going to be able to hang in. I mean, if, if there's going to be any time they drop off, it's going to be here in the month of June, uh, which is going to be a very, very difficult month uh, for Terry Collins to, to na- and his team to navigate their way through. And, uh, you know, it starts tomorrow night with the St. Louis Cardinals and Carlos Beltran um, and Mike Matheny coming to town. But um, I think the Mets, I, listen, I think there's a ceiling to their talent level. I don't think they're going to have a drastic drop-off. I don't think anyone's running away with the National League East, even though the Miami Marlins have been, were great in the month of May, 21-8. and eight. 
um, and starting to, to catch fire for Ozzie Guillen. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone's running away. Uh, I think the Mets are going to continue to fight. Uh, I think slowly but surely as the season goes along, you'll start to see them fade a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be a drastic swoon. No, actually, I don't see it either. One thing I am concerned about is the Mets' bullpen. I think, you know, they've shown, you know, glitches of success. You know, Frank Francisco is pitching better. And, you know, a John Roush, you know, still up and down. What do you what do you think about the Mets bullpen? Do you think it'll straighten itself out or you think that they still need to bring another arm in there? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll eventually I don't think there's a lot of maneuverability. I think it's a matter of guys just starting to go out there. And I mean, it's good that Manny Costa is not there any longer. Um, he uh, was not pitching well at all. Uh, for Collins and for Worth, and it allowed six home runs and 22 innings of work coming out of the bullpen. But Francisco has solidified himself as the closer. Roush wasn't good last night against the Phillies as they extended out their lead and eventually uh, won the game and taken the series. But, you know, you love Burdak as being your lefty specialist. You're going to get the auto pack hopefully at some point in time due to come off the 60-day disabled list on Sunday. Um, I think you got to dance with the people you brought. I mean, I don't think right now the Mets are going to go out there and add a, a quality bullpen arm. Is if there's an arm out there that's pitching pretty well, uh, you know, it's difficult to find. Teams are, are going to want a king's ransom for. No, absolutely. And I see a guy like Henry Mejia is coming off the Tommy John surgery. He could help them out eventually. But um, sure. uh, Bobby Parnell. You know, he's pitched well. Certainly the, you know, the changes he made to his mechanics and adding that changeup have certainly helped him out. But what a lot of people don't talk about, and I've noticed it, for some reason he can't get the Phillies out. You know, he gives up the, you know, he gives up the home run to, you know, to Ruiz. He, you know, he ends up being a losing pitcher in the first game of the series. But going back the last couple of years, for some reason, Bobby Parnell cannot get the Phillies out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair when you look at Parnell's struggles, although I do think he's a little bit of a different pitcher this year, and the home run to Ruiz last night was very disappointing. But I think that comes with, you know, the trials and tribulations. I don't think he throws with a ton of confidence against Philadelphia, nor do I think the Mets have over recent years played with a ton of confidence going up against the Philadelphia Phillies. So a little bit different this year. Philadelphia all banged up. I mean, I don't know if I'd look at that one specific case in point. I think you have to be excited if you're a Met fan that the, the growth that Parnell has shown this year because he has been much better than he was a year ago. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's certainly pitching a lot better. I just, I just, I, I mean, I could go back as far back as Bobby Parnell's been in, and I know he's a totally different pitcher now. But I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Phillies could be in his head a little bit. He feels maybe he feels the. Yeah, I think to... that's a fair point. I don't think that you know you can. Uh, I don't think that, I, I think that's a very fair point with regards to Parnell. It's disappointing last night. You look at sometimes uh, pitchers, whether it be starters or relievers historically do struggle against some specific it's something he's obviously got to get over yeah absolutely man and now you know going back to the you know the Mets are trying to obviously fill out their rotation right now I think ultimately they'll be better off once Chris Young is back in pitching but um what do you what do you think what did you think short term of the performance of Jeremy Hefner the other night I thought he looked good, uh, but I do agree with you. I mean, I think Young is probably the most viable candidate. He pitched down on the farm in Buffalo earlier this morning, pitched pretty well. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that you got to get up. Never know how long he is going to be able to stay healthy, John. And uh, I think when if you're able to throw Chris Young as your number five starter, who you know threw four starts last year before he suffered enough uh, last year before he suffered another injury was very, very good for the Mets. I mean, I think he's going to eventually be your number five star. I thought Hefner showed you a lot of guts, a lot of moxie. 
Um, I think he, you know, is a guy that you'd have confidence plugging in him uh, here or there. But if Young is healthy, I think he fills out your rotation. Yeah, I think so too, and I think it'll be better off with him, um, you know, a Mejia, you know, and a Beato perhaps to fill out the bullpen, and maybe they could get a little spark from those guys. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with uh, WFAN and SNY host Mark Malusis. Mark, before I let you go, man, I just want to ask you, you know, you've gotten a chance to do, you know, a lot of TV with SNY. You know, obviously, you know, you do a great job on WFAN. What, what do you prefer to do? You, you like radio better or you like being on TV and being seen? I, I enjoy them both. I mean, they're both completely different. You have more time on radio, obviously, to express your feelings and get your thoughts out there. They're two completely different beasts. I, I feel blessed to have an opportunity in this market to, to be able to, to do both of them. Um, you know, you got to work hard to, to kind of perfect your craft at both of them. So, you know, it's been a, a very, very enjoyable ride, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, hopefully knock on wood, uh, does continue, but um, it, it's been fun. They're, they're two different ones. I mean, you look at TV, you have only a certain amount of time that you can get your thought process out. Uh, radio, as you know, John, you have uh, you know a lot of time to be able to express your thoughts and get your feelings out there, get a little bit more of your personality out there. So they're completely two different things, but uh, I enjoy doing them both. Yeah, and listen, you definitely do a great job with both. Listen, Mark, thanks a lot for having a couple minutes today. Hopefully I can get you on sometime in the near future. Anytime, John. You got it, man. Have a good night. Hey, thanks. You too, man. That was Mark Malusis, WFAN, SNY host. You know, got you a little perspective of what's going on with the Yankees. We talked a little bit about the Mets. Certainly, both teams, you know, you could see kind of going both ways. And A point that I made that I thought was pretty interesting with the New York Yankees was the fact that the last couple of years they've they've done the same thing. They've gotten off to not necessarily bad starts, but not necessarily good starts either. You know, teams and and I had I'll be the first to say I had the Yankees running away with this division. I really thought the pitching was going to come together. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I had a lot of stock in a, you know a guy by the name of Michael Pineda, and I couldn't have been any more wrong on that. I mean, anybody that argued with me about, you know, Pineda being a legitimate starter, well, right now it's not looking good. I mean, he's, he's out for the season. We probably won't see him until next, next year, maybe midseason. And, you know, I, I, I actually thought this guy was going to go in and be able to play a significant role on this team. And what ended up happening is obviously, you know, the injury. But, you know, listen, Mark makes a good point when it comes to the, the Yankees and their age. Every year they get a little older. We talk about every year this team, you know, is older than it was. A-Rod is as old as he ever been. Derek Jeter, you know, despite the resurgence at his, you know, older age, is getting up there in years. So you wonder, what, when is this going to end? You know, a guy like Mariano Rivera has the unfortunate injury, shagging fly balls in batting practice, where he tears his ACL. Then that's, you know, as sad, you know, unfortunate of an injury as possible. And you wonder, is that the end of the road for him? Yes, he said he's going to come back. But, you know, what is he going to be? How does he handle the rehab for really the first time in his career having a major serious injury? You know, how does something like that end up, you know, affecting him? Is he, is he a legitimate closer next year? Obviously, the guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, the best that's ever done it. But... You know, maybe Mariano Rivera does not come back and be able to be as big of a force as he was in past seasons. That's something you're not going to know. Unfortunately, he gets the benefit of the doubt. 
There's no question. There's nobody here saying that, you know, listen, you know, Mariano Rivera is going to be on a short leash. We got David Robertson. We got Rafael Soriano waiting in the wings. No, he's going to be the closer when he's back. You know, there's no question about that. There's no dispute that Mariano Rivera is going to be the closer of this team. And, you know, going on to the Mets, I think, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on because you, you got to like what you see from Terry Collins. you got to like what you see from a lot of the younger players that have come in. And, listen, this is a point, and I don't like to repeat the same thing that a lot of other people say, so I'll keep it short. But you like the way the team takes on the role of the manager, that no matter who's in there, no matter what players are playing, no matter who's in the lineup, no matter who's pitching, whether the guy was in AAA or AA a couple weeks ago, they have the feeling that they have to get the job done, that there's no waiting like it was with Jerry Manuel for the healthy players to get back. You know, Terry Collins says, listen, we're going to win with whatever players we have out there, whether the guy has not played in the majors before, whether the guy's been a career reserve, whether the guy's been a 4A player, a 3A player, the guy is going to be expected to get the job done. And if not, we're going to get somebody else in there. And that's one thing that, listen, a lot of people have mentioned that point. A lot of people have said the same thing in regards to, you know, uh, you know Terry Collins and the way he treats his players. But, listen, he's done a good job managing this group, and there's no question about it. I mean, you wonder what's going to happen with an Ike Davis. You, know, you wonder if there's going to come a situation where the Mets do decide to send him to the minor leagues. Now, I don't know when that is. I mean, you see bits and pieces of a, an Ike Davis maybe getting it back. But it's still not there. You could still see that he is overmatched at the plate. You could still see when pitchers make good pitches to Ike Davis, he's struggling. He's having a hard time hitting a good fastball. He's having a hard time waiting on off-speed pitches. So that, to me, is something that has to be thought about when it comes to you know seeing what's happening in the future and how you know a guy a guy like this is going to be able to play over the course of a full season. And if Ike Davis grabs you know grabs the bat and starts putting up big numbers over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be like, listen, that was a great move by Collins. That was a great move, whether Sandy Alderson had any say in it or not. That they did the right thing by sticking with him. But this is also a move that could hurt you, because right now you got a guy hitting 170, you know, 180. I don't have his average in front of me, but you got a guy with that kind of average in the lineup that's expected to be one of your serious run producers. And you've got a player like that that's not getting the job done. These are things that have to be considered. I mean, the Mets at 28 and 23 right now are you know, playing over their heads, yes. Dropping two of the three from the Phillies at home is not that big of a deal because of the way they've been playing. Now, the level of competition increases, which many have mentioned. They got the Cardinals for four games starting tomorrow. And then they play a series of, you know, American League teams, whether it's the Rays, whether it's the Yankees, whether it's the surprising Baltimore Orioles, who I mentioned at the top of the show. You're playing a lot better teams, the Cincinnati Reds. You know, they hit a part of the schedule where they're going to have to at least tread water. They can't, you know, go the other way and lose two out of three over the next two, three weeks. They're going to have to win a series or two, you know, perhaps split a series against the St. Louis Cardinals, which is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy when you're playing upper echelon teams, when you're playing the better teams in the league, because you've got to compete with them. You've got to stick with these teams if you want to have any chance of making a run for the postseason. Now, what do I think about the Mets? Listen, I think they've overachieved. Are they as good as their record states? Honestly, you look at 51 games in the season saying right now that they're 28-23, and 23, I think you'll find out what kind of team this is 
over the course of the next 51 games. You want to mark it today? You want to say, all right, what is their record after the next 51 games? Can they go 28 and 23 again? Because if they could do that, and listen, it's going to be a tall order because they're playing some better teams now. They're not playing the Pirates and the Padres. They may grab a series against a bad team here and there. They still have the Cubs to play. They still have some bad teams to play. And we never know. There's, a, there's good teams that become bad as the season goes on. Now, if the Mets could be opportunistic and win series like that, then there's no, no reason that they can't be 28-23 and 23 after the next set of 51 games. But if they do that, then they certainly are going to make people think that this is a team that can win, win a playoff spot. Now, did I, do, did I think that they had any chance of winning the playoff spot you know, even with the expanded wild card system now, I really didn't think they did. And I think a lot of it had to do with the competition in the division, the talent that are on the other four teams. I didn't think the Braves were going to go away. And the Braves, yeah, they're struggling a little bit now, but the Braves have not gone anywhere. The Miami Marlins are starting to put it in, in you know, in full effect. Uh, Reyes is hitting a little better. Josh Johnson is starting to throw the ball very well. And then you put in the Phillies, who I don't think you could ever consider them out. You can't say that the Phillies are out of the division race, or especially a wild card race right now, until anything happens. And of course, there's the Nationals. But before I go any further, I want to welcome in um, TV and radio personality Julie Alexandria. Julie, John Pialli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hey, how are you? Uh, very good. Uh, thanks for calling in. I appreciate you, you know, having a little time. For sure, for sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Now I'm go- going back, and obviously the first, you know, my first impression of you, and a lot of other people feel the same way, was, you know, when you started the show, Beer Money. Now tell us a little bit about that, how that got started, and really, you know, really how your personality came out the best in that show. Wow. Well, that that is probably what I'm known best for, especially in the New York area. And it is definitely one of probably uh, one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had. It was such a fun show to do. And the way it came about was um, I was actually hosting a show called Wall Strip, which is on CBS.com. And it was sort of making fun of the stock market. And this was 2008. So mind you, August comes around and the stock market is not so funny anymore. And, um, you know, everything was failing. And, but I had this weekly show out still. We were still kind of finding creative ways to make fun of the stock market. And some producers at IMG, who are the producers of Beer Money, um, had seen the show. And they actually pitched it to me. They did not have auditions. They did not go about it. And, you know, usually with shows, you have to go through agents, and they do casting calls and callbacks, and, you know, you send in pictures and headshots and all this stuff. And they didn't do that. They just came right directly to me, and they said, we would love to film a pilot with you. It's a sports trivia game show where you're running around and interviewing sports fans. And so we shot the pilot. Um over the summer, and then it got picked up by SNY, and we ended up doing, um, I think we shot the entire season over the course of 14 days, um, myself and Chris Carlin, and um, it was it was so much fun, and I was like, oh my gosh, I get to basically give drunk guys in bars crap for not knowing their New York sports trivia, and I'm a bit of a smartass, as you can tell, <laughs> so it, it, it really did not take much, and being originally from Queens, um, I'm already... You know, born into a a very Met fan 
uh, household. So that was easy um, transition for SNY. So, it, yeah, it was it was really, really a lot of fun. And it's cool because every now and then I, I still get recognized for <laughs> I, I was actually at Bryant Park the other day and some guy was like, oh, my God, it's the beer money chick. So, um, yeah, but that's how it came about. And then that was the first season of Beer Money. And then after that um, came Mets Weekly with SNY, and the rest was history. Yeah, absolutely. And what what, what it really interests me about it, and I'm sure a lot of other people tell you the same thing, but really your your personality totally glowed in that show. It was just – it just kind of came out of you to a point where you, you're just like, wow – this this person is absolutely shining on this show, and you could not help but draw attention to, you know, how good you were on that show. And I, I'm sure you heard this a hundred times, but I want to tell you that was a super job you did on that show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was. It, I think what the best part of it was that you know, so many times when you book a job as a host or or, or a commentator or an actor, you know, you're given so many notes by the producers or the directors or the network when they're saying, oh no, you know, do it like this, or they make adjustments, so they kind of make you fit into what their ideal what their idea of what you should be doing, you know, or what the part calls for. And with this, they just let me go. You know, they just said, be yourself, do your thing. And it's like I could do no wrong. And I felt this incredible freedom to just go out there and it didn't matter what I said. And even if I thought I was borderline on being inappropriate with certain people, <laughs> they encouraged it. And they said, no, make fun of the guy. And I'm like, I feel kind of bad. I made fun of his haircut. And they were like, no, that's great. It's hilarious. And, you know, these, these guys can take it. So it, it was really, it was incredibly freeing for me as, as a host to just be able to, you know, do what my instincts imply. So it, it was great. Yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, I kind of relate to it a little bit because, you know, when I'm on here, I'm doing my own show. I just, you know, I got nobody watching over my back. Nobody saying, hey, listen, you can't say this, you can't say that. And I just let it go. And then I listen back and I realize that, you know, it's probably some of my best work. I mean, when you kind of when you're on under the microscope, when somebody's, you know, breathing in your ear every minute saying, hey, listen, why, why did you say that? You can't do that. And it kind of takes you off your game a little bit, you know? It does. It absolutely does. And, you know, it, I, I think it really creates a lot of insecurity because you second-guess everything. And that's not a spot that you want to be in. And I, I've been there, so I know what that feels like. And, and I know what it's like to be, you know, kind of have your personality reined in. And and I think that's why that job was so special with that um like I said, there there were no restraints, so there were no rules, and just the mere fact that it was, for all intents and purposes, it was really a startup show because there was no host that I was replacing. There was no other prior person that they were comparing me to, so I was really able to make it anything I wanted it to be, which was which was really fun. Yeah, and you ended up setting the bar pretty high, I might add. Now. <laughs> I've, so I've heard. So I've heard. I, I still get, you were the best one. We miss you. Come back. <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was really fun. And, you know, that that's something you can't learn. You know, it's like you either have it or you don't. And, and that's what I think, you know, separates certain hosts from others. It's, you know, you just go with your own instincts. And 
I figure if, if I think it's funny, then I, I think the audience will think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good point there. Yeah, this is John Pielli. I'm here with TV and radio personality Julie Alexandria. Now, listen, you, you, you came across and you're, you're self-subscribed as a baseball geek. Now, what you know? I know you mentioned you know your family was real into it while while you're younger. But how did you get into baseball, and what do you like most about it? That's a good question. Um, well, I was brought up in a very avid baseball um, family home. I mean, my parents they've since moved out to Orange County, California, where I spent the second part of my life basically growing up out there. And they were the kind of family that these are my parents that would watch the VHS tape of the 1986 World Series out in California. And they're probably the only Mets fans in in Field Beach, California at the time. Um, but I grew up playing baseball. I grew up playing um, Little League and all the way through middle school. I was also a competitive figure skater, which kind of took me out of playing baseball. But I remember my dad would always take me to baseball games, and my brother would come along and that was sort of our thing and so I just grew up going to baseball games talking baseball I grew up with the names like Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling and Gary Carter I mean I had a poster of Gary Carter in my room as a very little kid and I just I, it sort of became a lifestyle and it was something that my family that we all did together we would go to Dodger games we'd go to Angels games when we were in Orange County California and then when the, the Beer Money Show came out, um, and I was offered the job to do, to host Mets Weekly, um, to move over to that show from SNY, I, I was a little nervous because I had never done any real, um, baseball reporting, but I was really excited to do it just because I have a love of the game and I have a love, um, for the players and, and just for the rhythm of the game. There's, there's a certain nostalgia that comes along with baseball that I just, kind of enjoy there's a lifestyle there and and i just love the whole thing just everything that it encompasses and um there's nothing more than that i love than to go watch a baseball game live so um so i took i took the job and then that led to obviously bloomberg um covering all of mlb which is really amazing doing fantasy baseball which is my, sort of my first foray into fantasy baseball, which is completely different, I have learned. Um, yeah, it is. But yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a hardcore fan. I, I can't explain it other than that. But it's, yeah, it's really a lifestyle at this point. Now, listen, there's, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but I want to, you know, I want to keep it to, you know, what you've been saying. Now, what do you, what do you like doing better now? As you know, let's, you got a chance to do Mets Weekly. You know, you're, you're focused on one team. You know, you end up doing, you know, for Bloomberg, where you're really covering the whole sport. Do you have a preference? Yeah. Would you rather be, you know, you know, focusing on one team or study the entire game as a whole? That's a really good question. I, you know, I, I, I like both. I mean, it's, it's nice to get an entire overview to see what all of the teams and players are doing and kind of compare and contrast. But there is something really awesome that I really, really enjoyed about becoming very familiar with one team and to get to knowing the players and to really, you know, getting to know them as people on and off the field, getting to know them, you know, as players, their strengths and their weaknesses, and and getting to know who they are in the game. And that was really special. And, and also having that sort of familiarity around. I mean, I would walk into the clubhouse and they'd be like, hey, Julie, hey, Julie. And, you know, I'd be like, wow, you know my name. <laughs> and, and then it just sort of became like a family after that. And having that kind of rapport is, is really nice. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think at some point I might go back to, 
to working in house for a team because that was that was really nice. I, I mean, the overview is great as well, and and I think with Bloomberg, I have a little more freedom to criticize more than I would. Um, you know, obviously, when you're working for a network that owns the team, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to you know, you're, you're into you know fantasy baseball. Are you in it? You in a couple leagues? Yeah, I had uh, my first foray into it was last year. I was in an all women's league. Okay. Um, and that was that was really interesting because I had never done it before, and I had a lot of fun during the draft. Um, which I think is the best part, really. And uh, I kind of stuck to players I knew, which I think is something that everyone kind of does when they first start out. It's like, okay, I'll just go with who's familiar. I'll go with who I know. And um, and then I learned that's not always the best strategy. I had a lot of mess on my team, as you can imagine, and uh, a lot of injuries as well. So that, <laughs> that was not the best way to do it. But... Um, yeah, I'm actually in a league with my brother, and uh, which is very competitive and very fun. So I keep him on his toes, and he watches my show. So he he kind of uses my own information against me, which is unfair. <laughs> yeah, so you're reporting an injury to somebody, and he goes and he you know gets his replacement or something like that. Yeah, I think even just yesterday, I think he sent me a he sent me an email this morning because we were talking about Eric Hosmer and uh, and the fact that he's struggling and he's like, oh, I have him on my team, I'm getting rid of him, um, <laughs> and because he watched the show and so he uh, that's where he got that from. So I'm like, you need to stop watching the show and taking all my info. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that yeah, that probably doesn't work to your advantage the best. No, it doesn't. I feel like I'm giving away all the secrets. <laughs> And now, you know, as far as what you've done, you know, you've obviously gotten a chance to do a lot. You did, you know, Mets Weekly, you, you know, you did, you know, show, you know, with Wall Street and stuff like that. Have you actually reached your goal yet as far as what you ultimately want to do as, you know, a TV or radio personality? Mm, I don't think I'll ever reach. I think I don't know that I'll ever reach a goal because once I get there, I'll set another one. But I I think one of the most uh, fun jobs that I had recently was working for MTV. I was a VJ on MTV and hosting a live daily pop culture show. And that is actually, I had left SNY to go and do MTV. Um, and then the show lasted about eight months. And then, unfortunately, it got canceled, which is a total bummer. Um but that was pretty much kind of an outline of what I would like to be doing. Um, a daily show focusing on sports, pop culture, entertainment. Um, hopefully something like that in the future will materialize. Yeah, definitely. Now, once again, it's John Pielli, Passball Show. I'm here with Julie Alexandria. Um, I was doing a little research on you because I wanted to find, you know, some some good questions to ask. Hopefully, I've asked a couple of good ones. You have? No, they're wonderful. <laughs> I'm I'm learning, listening to you as an interviewer. You're good. Uh, thank you. I saw you did uh, you did some voiceovers. You did some voiceovers for Grand Theft Auto. Now, what what did you what did you do for Grand Theft Auto? How did you find that? How did you find that? <laughs> oh God, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> So what did you what did you do for it? What what was your uh, what was your voiceover? Um, well, I'm a I'm a voiceover artist, so I do I do a lot of stuff, not just video games. I do commercials for everything from Walmart to Verizon to uh, J.C. Penney and you know McDonald's and Geico. So if if you listen to the radio or TV, you've probably heard my voice pushing some products. Um, but video games is also and cartoons are also what I do and. Um, I do a voice for Dance Central for Connect, 
I play one of the lead characters. And then also Grand Theft Auto, I was super cool because I was playing a character that is an entertainment reporter. So sort of like a heightened version of like a Nancy O'Dell or a Mary Hart, one of those sort of... (laughs) You know, interviewers that is a big celebrity gossip columnist kind of interviewer. And, um, and then I played a bunch of heads, which is pedestrians who basically get to die in various ways. And the sessions were pretty funny because the director would say, okay, now you're getting killed by a pipe bomb. And now you're getting pushed off a cliff. And now you're getting killed by having your insides ripped out. And now you're getting killed by being run over by a car. And it was like, you know, a thousand ways to die. And you had to sort of show that through your vocal, um, <laughs> through your vocal skills. So it, it was a really fun recording session. And yeah, doing video games is, is definitely one of my favorite kind of voiceovers to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds like fun. And that's one thing I, I would always like to do. I mean, you could say whatever, whatever you want me to do. And I'll just record it. I mean, I, I just I just love like you know just using the you know the energy, the excitement of what you're feeling to just like hear yourself back. I mean, that's something that's something that I really like about it. Yeah, yeah. Voiceovers. I mean, you can go to work in your pajamas. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice gig. Yeah, absolutely, sure. it absolutely is. Now, listen before before I let you go. Um, Got to promise me this. I, I'll get you back on the show because I'm running short on time. I, I want to. I definitely want you to come back. I want you to call in. You know, maybe another time. You know, hopefully we can stay in touch and we'll set something up where I can get you called back into the show. Sure, I'd love to. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Julia. Hopefully we will talk to you soon. All right. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, anytime. Yeah, that was, All right. Bye bye. Yep. No problem. That was Julia Alexandria, and once again, you know, great job. Hit with a lot of different topics there, and you know, we're in the past ball show. We're talking baseball all the time, and you know, it, I think I think it's good when you get something that you know, kind of she what she really does is she takes the point of view of a fan, and you know, as as you know, an aspiring you know journalist and broadcaster myself. You know that, that that's kind of what, what, you, what you end up wanting to do. You want to get yourself out there, and she she's done a phenomenal job for for SNY, and of course you can catch her on you know Bloomberg now, but everything that she does for that, and you know she's done voiceovers and stuff like that. So, you know, great having Julie on, and uh, you know once again, uh, you know, past ball show, MTR Radio Networks, John Pielli. We're finishing up. We got another ten minutes or so left, and you know I want to take the time to thank you know Derek May who did a great job, Mark Malusis, Julie Alexandria, really making this show. Really, one one of one of my best shows. I've, I'm happy with what I, you know what's happened here. Happy to get you know a lot of different perspectives on stuff going on in Major League Baseball. And you know, I was I just want to finish up my Joe Torre comment. Where we're talking about what what is he better at? So he, is he better as a player or was he better as a manager? And you know, unfortunately, what happened with him is he struggled as a manager. Whether it was you know the late '70s with the Mets, and I, didn't, I know he didn't have a full deck there. You know he goes on to the Braves, and actually I thought he did a good job as a Braves manager. He had a you know 1982 team that wins the division with Dale Murphy, and you know the team was very talented up until 1984, where he was let go after that season. And really, what happened with you know 1984 and the Braves, and they got obviously in that real, real physical battle with the San Diego Padres and you know, Dick Williams. And what ended up happening with that team is they, they really started to struggle, you know, player constructive wise that the players, you know, were kind of questioning Tory a little bit. And you really saw the first of the development of Tory as a manager. And I think you can compare a little bit of that of what's going on with Terry Collins and what he's doing 
and he has to learn from his previous mistakes. And I think Joe Torre, as good of a manager as he was, X's and O's, he had that brave team going well. He had that team fighting tooth and nails with the San Diego Padres that season. And it ended up falling apart. He ended up losing, you know, some of the veterans on that team, a guy like, you know, a Chris Chambliss or a guy like a Bob Horner that, you know, kind of lost him as their manager. He ends up, you know, being fired and replaced, you know, and then he moves on. Of course, he doesn't get another managerial job until 1990 with the St. Louis Cardinals. And, you know, is that a little similar? Yeah, that's a little similar for Terry Collins, who actually had to wait a lot longer to get a job as a major league manager. And he he didn't do bad with the Cardinals. Unfortunately, the Cardinals teams were not at the best there. You know, the late 80s teams under Whitey Herzog and, of course, the Tony La Russa teams really of the better part of the 2000s were, you know, much more talented than the teams that Torrey had. Now, he struggled there. I, I don't think he had the best set of players. So he goes over and he actually strikes gold. He absolutely you know, ends up on the other side of the rainbow, grabs this big pot of gold, and that's the New York Yankees of the mid to late 90s who are just ready to explode. A great job by Buck Showalter in the prior years, which I say all the time, you know, gets over overlooked, misconstrued. Buck Showalter doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he did for those New York Yankee teams. He really got them going. He got them playing at the top of their game unfortunately you know it all it all ended up going sour after losing to the seattle mariners in 1995 and he ends up paying for it with his job probably more george steinbrenner brenner written than anything he just got impatient he said listen this team hasn't won since you know making the world series in 1981 it's time to go it's time to bring in a new manager and a guy was joe torrey joe torrey steps in at the right time and like i said before it's not all about where you are you can't say listen this guy has you know is a manager of a good team and he wins and you can't you can't say because of the talent on the team the manager has to go out there he has he has to punch the lineup card. He has to make the pitching decisions. He has to make the moves amongst the players that he's got that bring ends up bringing a winning team, ends up bringing a championship type of team. And he did that. He won in 1996 with the Yankees, of course, wins in 98, 99, and 2000, and actually has probably one of the better managerial runs in New York Yankee manager history since the time of Casey Stengel or Joe McCarthy or Miller Huggins. You know, he ends up going in Yankee lore as one of the better managers they've ever had. Now, does that take away from what he did as a player? And I'll tell you, I've gone back and forth with other people on this. Listen, I, I actually think Joe Torre was a better player than he was a manager. Now, you can make a case that, listen, look at all the wins he's got. He's got over 2,000 you know, wins. He won two division titles with the Dodgers. He won a division title with the Atlanta Braves. He was a better manager. And you can't really go wrong either way. But here's here's the way I look at it. Now, the hardest argument against me in this, and I'm going to end this with, with a couple more thoughts on this, the hardest part against my argument to say that Joe Torre was better as a player, he is not a Hall of Famer as a player. He had 2,300 hits. He drove in over 1,000 runs. You know, he was a very good power hitter. Of course, he was the MVP in 1972. And he was a very good player on some very good, you know, Milwaukee and then Atlanta Brave teams. And he might have been the best player on some of the, the, you know, St. Louis Cardinal teams. But 
what Joe Torre accomplished as a player is not enough to get him enshrined in Cooperstown in in the Hall of Fame. But what he did by winning the four championships and six pennants as a manager of the New York Yankees and winning over 2,000 games as a manager might very well put him in the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen. Of course, as a manager, you've got to be nominated, first nominated by the Veterans Committee and then selected on the ballot within the Veterans Committee. Is this something that happens over the line five years, ten years down the road? I think Cooperstown would be a better place with Joe Torre. I think overall for what he's done as a player and as a manager and, of course, as a, as a representative of the game. He will be a perfect fit for the Hall of Fame. And we talk about what, you know, the players have done with steroids and everything. And, you know, a guy like Pete Rose, how he disgraced the game. And Shoeless Joe Jackson and all, all the ones that have done bad for the game. And you think of a guy like Joe Torre, who's been nothing but a good sport of the game. He's represented the game of Major League Baseball as good as many have. And you talk about a time right now when you talk about the 2000. 13 ballot with all the players that are up there, whether it's Barry Bonds, whether it's Roger Clemens, whether it's Sammy Sosa. And, of course, the suspicion now amongst any player that played in a steroid era is out there. What better thing would be for baseball to represent the game than to honor a guy like Joe Torre? Now, I think he has to go in more as a manager than as a player. I think on his plaque you could acknowledge what he did, the 2,300 hits, the 1,000 RBIs, the 1972 MVP. Sure, that's all part of his resume. But is he going to go in the Hall of Fame as a player or a manager? Listen, I think that's really where there's no, no question. You can't really debate the fact that he was a better manager. And, yes, he got some help from the Yankee teams, but he needed to punch that lineup card. He needed to make the decisions. He needed to be the manager that won that clinching game of the World Series when he won all four of those championships. Now, what he accomplished as a manager exceeds what he accomplished as a player. And that, I think, really puts the, 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 the swagger, or, you know, you got the little uh, thing going back and forth. I think it weighs a little more on as, as a manager than as a player. But, uh, you know, we'll get you on next week. We'll open up the phone lines next week. Passball show, MTR Radio Network. I'll be back on next Thursday where I got a whole exciting show planned. I got some good guests coming into that show as well. And I'm going to try to open up the phone lines on a weekly basis. I want to thank John, who called from Middletown to start out the show. I want to thank Derek May, for the outfielder for the Chicago Cubs between 1990 and 1994. He had a very good career. I want to thank Mark Malusis, who came in at the top of the hour with some good stuff on the Mets and the Yankees. And I also want to thank Julie Alexandria, radio and TV personality, for doing a great job today. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully we'll catch you next week. See you then.
ಆ ಬೆಚ್ಚ 